It's been our tradition uh, to use the biblical books as the primary basis for our sermons. On occasion, we use the lectionary readings, pulling from various biblical texts, and during the Holy Days, we address themes of the Holy Days. And For much of our history, as I'd go through a book and we'd uh, go through it verse by verse, uh, at the end of the book series, I would do a subject series, then return again to a book series. In the last year, the general pattern was disrupted, and we had sermons that were primarily based on a theme or a subject or the lectionary. I intend with this series to return to the general pattern uh, that we have, and we're going to look at the Corinthian letters. So today I want to do the series introduction. I was going to do the series introduction and the introduction to 1 Corinthians, but then I remembered that I've got to be moving towards shorter time periods as we move back uh, into that framework. Um, And so rather than go on forever, I am going to do the series introduction today and the introduction to 1 Corinthians uh, next week. Um, I think what I'm going to talk about today is important, not just for the series, but for our understanding of why we are people of a text in this context. So, Judaism and Christianity are revealed truth religions. The revealed truth is the sacred scriptures as we have brought them out here. From the time of Moses, this revealed truth was written down and then taught to the people. The foundational text of this revealed truth is the Torah, the five books of Moses. Those books, more than any other, are the words of God that must be upon our heart as God is instructed. We have a tendency to treat all biblical texts as equal. You cannot equate Obadiah and the Torah in terms of its importance for us internalizing it. So God tells us that his Torah is supposed to be upon our hearts. He gave that instruction to Israel And by extension, that comes to us, uh, we Gentiles who have come to the God of Israel through the person of Jesus. The prophets and the writings are are also the word of God and revealed truth, but they are dependent upon the Torah. In a sense, the Torah sets the direction of Israel's life and by extension our life. And then the prophets are almost like sheepdogs. God said in the scriptures, you will follow my ways, you will not turn to the left, you will not turn to the right. Israel would turn to the left and turn to the right. And the prophets would be on either side saying, you're doing it wrong, get back on the path. Therefore, the prophets are not independent works. They are part of the extension of the word of God in correcting and also telling where the the direction of that path is. But the path is established in the Torah itself. And this is why the Torah is the focus of the synagogue liturgy and supplemented by uh, prophet readings, the readings of the Torah and the Haftorah that we're familiar with. And this is why in every synagogue of of the world, an ark is opened and the Torah scroll is brought out as we have done. 
And that Torah then is brought around to the congregation to remind them that God has spoken. In the old uh, words of the King James, thus saith the Lord, right? Uh, Or this is what the Lord says. Uh, However you want to put that, it is not just something that, oh, this is interesting, we ought to think about it. This is God speaking. Now the disciples of Jesus were Jewish. And the tradition of Torah reading and liturgy continued with them in the synagogues and the temple as we read in the book of Acts. With the advent of Jesus, the apostles taught the teaching and the acts of Jesus to the congregation. And in time, these things were written down as the Gospels, which we have here. Again, which we brought out of the ark this morning. In addition to that, letters were written from the apostles to believers in various places. And soon the reading of the Gospels and the reading of the Epistles joined the reading of the Prophets and the the Torah. The Christian lectionaries really reflect this fact in that they have what's called an Old Testament reading and a psalm, and then a gospel and an epistle reading as the traditional readings of the Christian liturgy. And it is traditional in uh, the church to bring the gospels by parade into the sanctuary at the beginning of the service and remove them as they go out. Now we do it a little different because of our art, but the idea is that both of these faiths are based on the word of God and they are they are the word of God is in a sense paraded around to remind the people that God has spoken. That we're not walking in darkness or in our own speculation, but we are standing on the sure foundation of the word of God. So For Judaism and Christianity, these books are the word of God and they are not mere traditions of men or ideas of religious geniuses as liberal theologians and liberal scholars might think. They are holy writings, scripture, and with the illumination of God's spirit in the community of God's people, an important difference, not the Holy Spirit in me so that I can interpret the Bible and go my way, but the Holy Spirit in us, in the community, so that we can understand the purpose and the words of God and walk together in community. So we gather into local communities of believers to read and understand God's revelation to us. I believe that the big divide in the world today is not between people who believe in God and don't believe in God. I don't believe that the big divide is over those who are the haves and the have-nots. There are divisions in those areas. But the big division in the world today is those who believe that these texts are from God and those who believe that these texts, while valuable, come from men. That divide, I think, is the critical divide. So I want us to look at some passages that begin quickly to establish that among believers in the early church, the 8 o'clock service, the early church, uh, that they were focused on these texts as the foundation, the tether 
point, if you will, of their connection to God. Clearly, we're connected to God by His Spirit. But it's easy to confuse the Spirit with other things, as we will see in the Corinthian letter. The Scriptures are that sure and certain physical, visible foundation for us, and that's why both the synagogue liturgy and the church liturgy are focused on the liturgy of the word. In Second Peter, chapter 3, I know it's a series on Corinthians, I'll get there. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter has been talking about the world that was before the flood and the world that is, and now he's talking about the world that will be, uh, and he says in verse 13, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our focus is not on this earth and this heaven. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And our, our, our focus should not be on uh, making this world perfect, though we are to repair the world as we go along. But our goal ultimately is to get through this life into the life to come. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace Spotless and blameless. Now, spotless and blameless are Torah texts. You can see that all biblical texts are based on the Torah text. To be blameless goes back to God saying to Abraham, walk before me blameless. Okay? And what are the sacrifices? They are to be spotless. So these are biblical words being used here. In regard and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. The history of that is that why isn't God doing something? God's waiting for all that he is bringing to himself. And that ultimate salvation includes some who still are yet to be saved. So we're waiting. Just like you wait sometimes at dinner for someone who's not there yet. Somebody who's not quite ready to eat, and you wait, you know, that waiting, you know, come on, I'm hungry, I want to do this now, it's great, it smells good. The kingdom is coming and all of that, but God is waiting so that we will all be there together in that context. So he says, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Now this is fascinating. Paul makes it clear in his own writings that he has gone to those who were apostles before him. And that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. But here we have a specific endorsement of Paul by Peter, the primary disciple of the, of the twelve. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Yet 
Therefore, beloved, know this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, Peter is saying to us that Paul's writings, though difficult to understand, are part of the rest of Scripture. They don't replace Torah. They're based on Torah. If you read into Paul anything that violates the Torah, you are reading Paul wrong. And boy, do a lot of people read Paul wrong. And Peter says that. There are things in there hard to understand. Seems like he's getting rid of the Torah, he's getting rid of the other things, and now we have a new, uh, a new theology. No. He's giving us an understanding of the things to come. And in there are things that are difficult to understand, which those who are unlearned, those who don't have a Torah foundation, who don't have a prophet foundation, who don't fully understand the gospel, or who are unstable, there are a lot of those people, those are not people who used to be in a stable, but no longer are. These are people who go one way, then the other way, then they're this, this is the new idea, now this is the new idea, no, I've discovered this, oh, there's a secret thing that I found, all that kind of stuff. The ignorant, unlearned, doesn't mean they're stupid, they just don't know. And those who can't seem to learn because they're ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Rest, they struggle these things to their own destruction. We don't want to do that. So he says, be careful that you don't do that. And by the way, there are also unprincipled men who will manipulate the scriptures to manipulate you. But your job is to grow in grace and in knowledge, learning the things that the scriptures teach us. And so Peter commends to us Paul's writings, including the letters to the Corinthians, as part of what we should gather together and read. We're not just doing this because it's traditional. There is an important message here for us to know in context and apply it to our lives. I want you to turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians. Okay, somebody took my... There it is. First Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 27, Paul writes these words. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Now there are some words here that need to be explained. First of all, the word adjure. The Greek word behind this is a word that means a taking of an oath or a very solemn command. So this is not a suggestion, hey, read this letter, it's good. Okay. Paul is saying, I am formally 
commanding you as if under an oath of the Lord to make sure that the brethren have read this letter, that you read it to them. Now, why can't you just give it to them? Because they would gather and the letter would be read. Can you imagine being in Corinth, gathering to worship the Lord, going through the traditional adapted synagogue service that's part of the diaspora and now this new emerging group of Gentiles. And they say, we have a letter from Paul, the founder of this congregation. Uh, People would want to know what it had to say. And they would not read it for curiosity of intellectual stimulation, but they want to know what Paul has to say and how they're supposed to act. Now he says that it is to be read to all the brethren. This is a struggle. Uh, We are struggling with the word brethren in the New American Standard Bible. Uh, How do you address the brethren? Is it only the men? What about the withren? Right? Uh, What do we do? How do we translate that? How do you do a, first of all, does this include the women? Well, if you read Paul's letters, it's clear that he's talking to men and women. And he's using the word brethren. Is he talking to the elders? He doesn't say he's talking to the elders. He's talking to the congregation. Now, congregation from a Torah base, for the reading, remember the reading of Deuteronomy, is to be read in front of the men and the women and any child capable of understanding. So that would be the men, the women, and the children. That would be the whole congregation that this would be read to in that kind of a context. So, it covers all of that. We're struggling with words. There is a word for a gender-neutral sibling, but sibrin would be terrible in this. Read this to the Sibrin. You know. Uh, I suggested it, but Bob said no. <laughs> I was not serious. Okay. Uh, but that's the struggle. So this book that we're going to look at is for all of us. It's for us and our children, all who can understand to know what the apostle is telling us. And he says, read this letter. But he goes beyond that. I want you to turn to Colossians Chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, When this letter is read among you, doesn't say if this letter is read among you. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter from Laodicea. Now, a lot of discussion over what that letter is. 
it is commonly believed that the Ephesian letter uh, is the letter that Paul is referring to. Regardless of that point, what Paul's saying is, if I wrote a letter to you, and this congregation gets a letter, I want you to read each other's letters. In other words, Paul's not going to write the same thing to each church. He's going to write some things in the context of each church, but they're valuable even though you're not the specific church being read. That's important for us. We're neither Corinth, nor if it's the letter to the Laodiceans or coming from Laodicea, we're not them either. But the letters have value for us to read as well. This pattern becomes the basis for adding the epistles to the reading of the Gospels and the adding to the Torah and the half-Torah readings as we do to this day. So now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's difficult to uh, spend much time in the scriptures and have a favorite book. I used to say 1 Corinthians was my favorite book. Then for a while Ecclesiastes was my favorite book. Isaiah was my favorite book. Revelation was my favorite book. Uh, Jude was my favorite book. You know, hey Jude. You know, all that stuff. And uh, I'm now able to say, these are a few of my favorite books, right? Uh, there, there are some, some texts I'm not... Here's what I think. You may, you may experience this different. The more I'm familiar with a biblical text, the more it becomes my favorite. In other words, I suspect at some point, if the Lord would grant me long enough life and some time to spend more time studying, that I would end up saying... This is my favorite book, <laughs> right? The whole text of all the, all the books. Um, because even some books that I thought, why is that even in there, become meaningful. I, I'll tell you, if you read the New Testament, there are certain books in the Torah and in the prophets and in the wisdom literature, that if you don't know those books fairly well, you won't know what's being talked about in the New Testament. And the more you know them, the more they're echoing all through you while you're, you're, you're reading. And yet, there are some that don't get quoted much in the New Testament. I suspect that the ones that get quoted the most are the ones that have the most general usage for us. But we're not all the same. And there are times, and there are moments, and there are places where your walk with God in your household or in your individual life is in need of something much more specific than those general texts. And at that point... Philemon, Obadiah, Micah, Jonah, one of those texts becomes important. I have always loved the book of Job. Don't love it so much anymore. 
because sometimes I feel like I'm experiencing it. But I'll tell you something. There's a verse I know better now and hold to better now than ever. Though God slay me, I will trust him. Now, when I first read that verse, it didn't have any meaning. Big hot shot, though God slay me. You know what? It might happen. The question is, how much can you go through and stay trusting God? There's a sermon there. One little verse. So there's, there's an enormous amount that we need to get out of these texts. And particularly out of Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, made holy in Christ Jesus, holy ones, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's probably five to ten sermons right in there if you look at those words and you look at those contexts and you look at what's being talked about. A God who calls people to himself who sanctifies them and who gives them grace and peace is the foundation of what this text is going to talk about. Our letters for this series are the two letters to the Corinthians. These are important for us because they address several practical issues that I think are very important for our time. But we have to be careful not to turn these scriptures into magic words. There are two things that concern me. One is uh, I, there's, I have two examples. I've talked about them before. Um, the fortune cookie approach to Bible reading. You guys have all eaten at a Chinese restaurant. You break open the fortune cookie, and there's a, uh, you know, there's a word on the there, and it, maybe it tells you something. But there's usually a saying. You know, you're about to pay a bill or something like that, right? Uh, <laughs> don't order the fish. You know, it's a little late for that, right? Whatever, whatever is in it. We have a tendency as Christians to do that with biblical texts. Just a little verse pulled out of a book and now made to have its own context. The apostles do quote verses when they write, but their assumption is that you know the context and they're using it in that way, which helps with the context of what they're saying. And so it's important that we know the foundation and the background of that. And so as you're reading through 1 Corinthians for this series, and a good tool for you would be the side column reference of the NASB because the, the margin notes 
are incredibly helpful in tying you back to Torah and prophet verses that those are connected to. Uh, Not everything is obviously quoted. Some are just allusions. And so that could be helpful. If you have a cross-reference system, uh, that you should go back and look and see what is, what is the apostle talking about. So, we don't want to turn these into magic words. This is not about taking a few verses that say something the way we want to say it out of context and applying it to our life. So, I want to talk the rest of the time I've got today about interpretation of the scriptures. Then we're going to introduce the book and its setting next week, and then we'll go verse by verse through it. I want to give you a basic way of interpreting the Bible. Now, this is not standard hermeneutics in a hermeneutics class at a seminary or a college. Uh, I think those are valuable, but they're really talking about Uh, some principles of interpretation that are important. I'll talk about those as we go through the series. But I want to talk about the big cut of how the Bible should be interpreted. This is something that your children need to know and you need to be reinforced to. Because our tendency is to do our own Bible study and to go to a commentary and let somebody tell us what the text says. That is not the way to study the Bible. First of all, Judaism believes that the primary way to study the Bible is with somebody. And with somebody, a study partner, and then guided by someone who knows the text better, so that if you come to a wrong conclusion, you can be corrected. In other words, Bible study is communal. And it involves three things. Text, Tradition and community. I want to talk about each of those. First of all, the text. We need to know what the text actually says. And to do this, we have to come as close as we can to the actual text. Now, we don't have the text, the actual letter that Paul sent to the Corinthians. We have copies. The earliest copies we have are in the language that Paul wrote this in, which was Greek. But if I said, let's study it in Greek, we'd be at a disadvantage. So the first step of the text is to get to, as close as we can, the actual text that Paul uh, wrote. And then... That Koine Greek of the first century, we need to understand the meanings of the words as they're used in their context. And that must be established first. That's been done for us by the field of textual criticism and is very well established that we have the text that Paul, uh, that Paul wrote. And we have a good understanding of the language at that time. This is important. Because you and I live in a time, postmodern, where Bible study is a bunch of people sit around and say, what does this verse mean to you? Well, this verse means to me, lollipop. Ooh, that's very nice. Ooh, that's deep. That's meaningful. 
And then the next person, what does that verse mean to you? It means that God's going to give me a new job. Ooh, yeah, amen to that, right? In other words, we take what we want the words to mean and we just project that onto them. What's important is what was Paul saying to those Corinthians at that time? We have to start with that foundational meaning. And that's going to be an important part of what we do. At some point then, that text with that understanding has to be translated into a language that you and I can communicate in. Which in this case is English. Not my first language. My first language is profanity, which I learned from my dad. But I have to speak in English here, so we're going to do English. So the translators of the Bibles that we have have worked very hard with different methodologies to try to get the text as close to that Greek and the context of the use of the words as possible. And in terms of some textual variability, uh, I think that uh, without doubt, a very safe place to be is this New American Standard text that we use. It's why it's the official text for our liturgy and for our study, because uh, I trust the men who have worked on that. I trust the intent of that. And I believe that it gives us a good starting point for the text. So we begin with the text. And where we need to, I will refer to the Greek. And in some cases, I may refer to the Hebrew behind the Greek. Because the New Testament writings are still within that biblical worldview. Where the, the categories are from the Hebrew rather than from the Greek. So, I will give you that. Now, the second part. Once we understand the let the text as it was intended uh, by those to whom it was, or for those for whom it was directly written, we have to look at the traditions. There are people who have struggled with this text from the beginning of its uh, passing around from congregation to congregation. In general, the biblical texts have been worked through, looked at, studied, contemplated, examined by the rabbis and the sages in Judaism and by the church fathers and the reformers in Christianity. And they were a lot closer to these texts than we were in time. And they, they gave their lives trying to understand the meaning of those texts. So it's important for us to listen to the conversation that they've had about the text. Now in the case of the Corinthian letters, we don't have much from the rabbis and sages. Because the canon, what books were accepted as scripture and not are different between Judaism and Christianity. Not that the rabbis and the sages didn't talk about these things, but there's less material there. We have an enormous amount of material from the church fathers and the reformers with regard to an understanding of these texts. 
That is the conversation of the community past that is important for us uh, to keep in mind. This gives us an understanding of how those who walked this life before us understood the text and how they used the text to guide their lives in other circumstances than we may find ourselves. So text, then tradition, and finally community. We also have pastors, scholars, and elders of the church today who continue to study these things, trying to understand them and apply them to the struggles of the faith in this present generation. The original recipients of these letters lived in a time and a place in some ways far removed from us. And yet there are commonalities and similarities which allow us to benefit from the text. And that's the intent of our study. The intent of our study is to understand what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. Listen to the conversation of those who have gone before us and those who presently struggle. And then apply these truths to our lives so that we walk the walk that God wants us to walk. Now the problem with the present community is this. We are terribly divided over our assumptions about the validity of the, of the text. We are divided over our theology. We are divided over two basic aspects of scholarship. There are scholars who believe that these are the word of God and we must understand them. And there are scholars who say these are the words of men and we must find out what they were really saying. And scholarship now in the modern era has a lot of people. Just because somebody teaches in a seminary, just because somebody's got a FUD after their name or DUR in front of their name does not mean that they know what this text is saying. Okay? So we've got to be careful as we wade through that. There are unprincipled men. There are people who are ignorant and there are people who are unstable. And a lot of them are professors and pastors and that kind of thing. So we've got to be careful about that. So our goal will be to look at these texts first through the eyes as if we were sitting in Corinth and the letter arrived. And what does it say to that community? What has it said over the time? And what does it say to us, particularly in our time and place here at the Disciple Center? Which brings me to my final text, which is 2 Timothy chapter 2. I knew I couldn't talk about all this stuff and then start the letter, so I thought it'd be easier to do this first. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Now the context of this passage is that Paul is telling Timothy uh, about this life, and, and in his immediate context, he's talking about what he's just said, that if we, if we died with him, we will live with him, if we uh, endure with him, we will reign with him, if we deny him, he will deny us. But he says, remind them of these things, verse 14, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. Interesting. When will you charge them? When they gather. This should be a Bible study for us. 
as we go through Corinthians. Not a bunch of sermons that I preach and you hold up signs. It's a 10, it's a 3, it's a 2. This should be a conversation. Okay? But we're not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. This is really important. A lot of people now get into words and nuances and little things and, and they become uh, filled with stories and, and all kinds of things that aren't valuable for us. So we're not going to play word games. That's really what Paul's saying. Don't, when you remind people of these things, when you study these things, this is not about word games, playing little word games with people. He then goes on and says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We are addressing the word of God. And we can't twist it to say what we want it to say. We have to hear what he says and follow him. But he says, avoid worldly, the word there is godless, secular if you will, and empty chatter. Because it leads to further ungodliness. There are people who go to Bible studies and then go out and act in direct contradiction to what the Bible says. Because the Bible has now been made to authorize and license what they already wanted to do. You can find a doctor who will tell you you're well. You can find a doctor who will tell you you're sick. You will find a pastor and a church community that will tell you what you want to hear about this life. Our goal is to hear the word of the Lord. Our goal is to say, speak Lord, for your servants hear. So that we will put feet to the words that we say when the Torah is presented, all that God says, we will do. We are handling the word of truth. We're instructed by the apostle to be careful about the word games and to avoid this empty chatter. We are not seeking a wow factor or verbal entertainment with clever speech. And Paul will talk about that. I didn't come to you with clever speech and enticing words. I don't want your faith in the words of men, but in the power of God. That's right from Corinthians. So, we are seeking the message given to us by God so that we may be approved in the way that we interpret and the way we act upon the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you over the next uh, several weeks as we do this to be reading the book of Corinthians. Keep familiarizing yourself with that. Look at the cross-references and look at context for that in the Older Testament quotes and illustrations. We want us to allow these texts to have their own integrity and context. And then we want to apply them into our life appropriately. We don't want to play the I see your verse and raise you to. We don't want to play the uh, I have a verse that God gave me. We want to say thus 
saith the Lord. And all that he tells us, we will do. And we're going to do it with the books of Corinthians. Let's pray.